to the German Versatile Hunting Dog Files. I'm your host, Tim Moore, and the purpose of this podcast is to provide an in-depth look at the training, testing, and hunting adventures of the German Versatile Breeds. So before we get started, hit pause, go grab yourself a tall, cold glass of your favorite drink, sit back, relax, and get ready to enjoy another episode of the German Versatile Hunting Dog Files. We're back with the third part of our three-part series, the Fall Breed Test. In this episode, we'll be breaking down the water portion and evaluated attributes of the Fall Breed Test and looking at how to prepare and handle your dog and what to expect on test day. Today, I'm joined by Lori Tyler. She has been training dogs for the various tests for years and has a great understanding of handling them in the tests as well. Lori, before we uh, get this show on the road today, uh, to learn a little thing or two from you, uh, from your book of tricks, how about we take a minute and uh, let you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and get to, let them get to know you a little better. Okay. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I have a little bit different history than most of your hosts on this show. I, I got into this extremely late in life. Um, my husband is a huge huge hunter um, and wanted to get a draught um, for a lot of years. So we finally um, got into this about 2012. And interestingly enough, this was all his idea. He wanted to get a draught hard. He wanted to get into this versatile training and have that kind of dog. And it didn't take but maybe a year of, of tagging along with him before this became my deal. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted my own dog. I wanted to train one. I, I started to do the upland hunting um, just so I could watch the dogs work. Uh, recently got into some duck hunting and some goose hunting, and um, I absolutely love blood tracking. So um, these tests um, really spoke to me as something I really like to do, and I really enjoy it. So for the last probably eight years or so, I've been collecting drought and um, running them through all the different tests. Currently, um, a member of VDD GNA, NAJGV, and uh, I'm apprenticing through NAJGV to become uh, a testing judge. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So, well, thank you. I appreciate that, uh, and, I, and I hope our listeners can appreciate it, too. Uh, sounds like you have some passion and dedication for these dogs and, and the testing system. So, um now that uh, we've had a little bit of chance to uh, get to know you better, uh, I think we can get started here. So, um, you know, what, what we're going to do is we'll we'll go through on this episode today for our listeners, and we'll cover training for each subject, as well as how to handle the dog on test day at each subject. Um, you know, this this will give our listeners a little bit of an opportunity to, especially the first-time listeners, to hear the perspective of somebody else um you know and and maybe we can throw some uh fails or or you know uh don't do's in there as well uh um you know so that some of the first time listeners can kind of take these and uh run with them for their their breed or their uh, fall breed test coming up here in the next uh, couple months so um why don't we kick things off and we'll start obviously with uh gun sensitivity in the water work and okay. uh you, you know when when we and, and not to not to uh, stop there for a second, but I know 
when we talked about an episode two and three with Jeff and Scott, um, you know, and, and even in episode four, when we covered specifically with the judges, when we had Courtney and Rick on, we talked about the waterwork and when they talk about the, the three categories within the waterwork, uh, that they, they shall be tested in this order. And it's, it's gun sensitivity, blind retrieve, and search behind the duck. Again, the same thing. They want to make sure that the dog is stable behind gunfire, and they use a dead duck for that. Um, then they want to make sure that the dog is reliable upon finding a dead duck and retrieving it without a shot or anything else like that before they're going to put them on a search behind a live duck. So, um, and and there, there's actually some some thought behind that when they do all that uh, there. So it's, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and start off with gun sensitivity. And um, why don't you tell us, uh, Lori, uh, you know, your, your do's and don'ts and your ins and outs and, and how you prepare for your fall breed test with this. Okay. Um, so for newer handlers um, to the testing program, the, the one thing to keep in mind is, is why were these tests developed? And they were developed to create a reliable hunting dog that recovers game. So when you look at that um, as a basis, and then you look at each of these water subjects, you can begin to see why they're so important and why they're done in the order in which they're done. So for gun sensitivity, um, they want the dog to enter the water quickly. They want it to swim out, grab the duck, bring it back happily. While this is happening, there's going to be a live round fired um, because in a hunting situation, you could have shot a duck, it's crippled, you send the dog out to retrieve it, you may need to do another shot, or you may have another opportunity to shoot another duck as the dog is retrieving, and you want the dog to be reliable to make that recovery while those other activities are going on. So in the testing situation, or for training for the test, you want to make sure that the dog um, is used to that gunfire as they're swimming out. And as part of the test, they want the live round to hit the water either right near or right behind the duck when the dog is about halfway to, to the retrieve. And it's important that, that when you're training for this subject that you make sure that round hits right in that spot because if it hits too far away, it may draw the dog away from the duck because it thinks something else is over there where the, where the shot hit the water. Mm -hmm. um, also, you got to make sure that the, the shot actually does hit the water because as part of the test, if the shot doesn't come in contact with the water, even if the dog successfully makes the retrieve, that sequence has to be repeated because they want to make sure that dog is reliable when that gunfire is disturbing the water near the game that it's trying to, to retrieve. Okay. Okay. So um, as a handler, you want to have the dog sitting calmly next to you. You want to give it the command to go out. And then it's the most desirable scenario is that the dog goes out, picks up the game, brings it back, and retrieves to hand without additional commands. Um, okay. If the dog is working correctly, and you'll hear this a lot in, as you read the rule books or you hear people talking, working correctly means the dog has got the game and he's on his way back to you in a pretty well direct line, he's made eye contact with you and he's on his way. You can praise the dog, good boy, good girl. Um, they don't want that done excessively. If you think of a hunting situation, you're not gonna be calling out to the dog and scaring off other game, but it is allowed to do that. 
if the dog is not working correctly and you have to give it a command, it'll, it'll affect your score. And you can only do that a couple times before you would end up failing that subject. So the desirable um, scenario is that the dog goes in and out and you don't have to say anything. Okay. Um, so training for that, if you can train to get that as quiet as possible, then on test day, the dog is going to be used to that and not be expecting you to give it some, some reinforcement. Okay. Um, we'll talk about retrieval, retrieving reliability at the end, but that's going to affect all of these subjects because this is a retrieving test, right? Mm -hmm. um, in the test also for gun sensitivity, you have the option as a handler to do the shooting. That is your option. Um, my personal recommendation is not to, to do that. Let the judge do the shooting because for me, I would rather just focus on my dog. Um, because you're trying to get the dog to sit, you got to send the dog, dog has to go out, you have to make the shot, and then you have to get the retrieve. So personally, I let the judge do the shooting whenever I'm in a test situation. Sure, sure. Absolutely. I can, I can totally agree with you on that. You know, and especially if you're a seasoned handler, I mean, and, and you know, I see a seasoned handler like, like Lori or, or Jeff, um, you know, Courtney, Rick, you know, some of these guys have been judges have been around for many, many years. That's great. But, uh, you know, I can promise you, you know, if you're a first time handler or even, even, you know, a dog every few years type of person, uh, like myself, you know, timing is going to be, you know, is, is put essentially the, the most important thing in something like this. Um, and to be able to hold the dog back and, you know, and, and typically, uh, you know, a lot of them are younger dogs, right, Lori? I mean, so some of them, they may even be held back or, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, calmly trying to keep him by his side and let alone have a gun in your hand, release the dog and position yourself to safely shoot and, you know, spray the water. Uh, you're, you're asking for your recipe for disaster there. So, Correct. Yep. So... Even if you train that way, if you have to train by yourself and you have to do all that yourself, still on test day, I would I would at least train for that when you get close to the test of having somebody else shoot for you. Um, it's it's a personal choice, but that's that's the route I go. Sure, sure. And again, you know, to our listeners out there, first time handlers especially, um, you know, uh, it, it don't don't forget. We talked about this before multiple times on on the past episodes here. Um, bring good game to the test now for gun sensitivity blind retrieve you do supply your own game right so um don't don't skimp on that you know give your dog every every possible advantage you can to be successful right and and one of the little tricks that i learned from from training with um, jeff specifically is um if you hold the game right where you want the dog to hold the game you put your scent right in the middle of that duck let's say nine times out of ten that's exactly where the dog is going to grab it they smell your scent on there and they grab so don't hold the duck by the neck or by the feet and all that hold it in the middle where you want the dog to grab it because part of the retrieving is they they want to see the dog have a good grip um think of it as okay the duck's not dead you want that dog to have a good hold on it so it doesn't get away from you before the dog retrieves it to you so you're you're telling me that you're telling me that you want our listeners to believe that of all that scent that's all over that duck that that duck scent and everything else that that he can distinguish on that small animal your scent from the duck scent. Correct. 
I believe you 100%. I'm just yeah. giving you a hard time. But you know. yeah, I've, I've heard that a million times over. And and people go, there's no way the dog can't do it. And, and we got to remember, these dogs' noses are phenomenal. They're, you know, 10,000 times more powerful than our noses. So yeah, we have we have no way to we have no way to comprehend what they can smell. We just have nothing right. we can compare it to. And but when you see that when you see your dog do that over and over, you realize that there's something to that. Oh, absolutely. And as you hand your game to the judge, um, you know, they should grab it by the feet or put a noose around the neck and try not to touch your game any more than they absolutely have to for any of the tasks in the test to try to keep that scent to a minimum so that the dog can smell your scent on there Um, Mm -hmm. or no scent at all, depending on what you're doing. So, um, yeah, when I, when I take my dog up to do that, I will hold on to that duck as long as I possibly can right before that event, just to get my scent on there Mm-hmm. We'll make sure when I hand that game to the judge that I give them the opportunity just to grab the feet. Right, right. Or hold the, hold it out there so they can put the, the drag rope around it. So um, it's a it's a good little tip. It seems a little off, but it I've seen it, and it, it seems to work. Well, you know, what do they say? When in Vegas, always play from the hot corner, right? So That's right. That's right. <laughs> any, any small advantage you can have in a, in a test like that is going to be, you know, you know, very, very crucial. So, yep. um, but, uh, okay. So now the gun sensitivity, you know, so that, that pretty much sums it up there as far as the, you know, training for it, working for it, test day. Do you have any tips for our handlers? Um, wh- you know, what to do besides the holding the duck? Yep. So when you're, when you're training, if you, if you are in a situation where you train by yourself, you're going to want to try to get to a training day or two where, you can practice this where the dog has to sit and hear gunfire that he's not going to be the one that goes. In most test situations, they will bring one dog up at a time and the other dog is not in view of this, but he's definitely going to be probably within earshot. Mm-hmm. So you're going to want to make sure the dog is used to that and in understanding that sometimes it's not your turn. Mm-hmm. So you might want to practice that. And, and there's, you know, different clubs have different training days. Even if you just get somebody else that can do some gunfire for you or you hold the dog off to the side, it's going to be beneficial as you prepare for for this test. Absolutely. Great point for sure. It's, uh, we, we talk about all the time there's, there's some huge merit, you know, training with a group of people. And I know some people don't have that advantage. But like you said, you know, take a few weekends here or there, listeners, if, if you're a first-time handler. And, you know, even if it means... Uh, you know, reaching out to somebody in that area and, and get a hold of somebody, get a hold of whoever the training directors and say, hey, listen, you know, is there any way I can, anywhere I can crash or something? Or, you know, is there someplace I can sleep in my truck there, even if you're going to come in the night before or something like that? Um, you know, uh, heck, uh, you know, I've, I've even had the kindness of people uh, offer to put me up at their place or something overnight, come in the night before and train and then head back three or four hours the other direction the next day. So, um make make those road trips make those connections um pull out the directory you know within your club and reach out to them and heck if there's not people in your club but nearby like Lori said find another club spend the 50 60 75 dollars what it is to join their club i promise you that resource will be invaluable uh when when test day comes so and at least in my experience and i i live in the midwest so i mean it might be different on the on in different areas but in my experience, 
because these dogs are tested to a standard in both the German system and let's say Navda and that type of thing, mm-hmm. there's no competition between handlers. And so you have a huge resource there. People are willing to help you. If you're having a problem on any typical, any type of training and you just cannot seem to get past it and you go to some of these training days, there's almost always going to be somebody there. Going, oh yeah, I, I, I did this and it worked and you find, it and it works the first time or it works the second and you're like, wow, never would have thought of that, but somebody had figured that out and worked through it. And so that, like you said, the training days for various reasons can be invaluable to help you. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So we have a lot of, you know, uh, in our local NAVDA chapter, and I know you're, you're associated with the, uh, the Illinois chapter there. Um, and, you know, and, and myself with the Illinois chapter um, of NAVDA. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of people coming out to our trainees that are, are part of the German system and, and, and do components of the German tests in our trainees. So, uh, you know, we're all there to help. Like you said, we want to see our everybody's dog succeed. So it's no, this is not a competition of any sorts uh, with with any of the clubs there like that. It's not a field trial style uh, uh, testing. So, uh, but uh, okay. So now the blind retrieve is the next one, and this is this is a tricky one, right? You know, a lot of people do seem to have some problems with this one or or, or run into some roadblocks. So, what can you tell us about the blind retrieve? Yep. So in the sequence of the testing. Like Tim mentioned earlier, they have to be done in order. So once you pass the gun sensitivity portion, the next task your dog will do is the blind retrieve. According to the rules, it has to be the next subject tested. Now, it doesn't mean that all the dogs that are testing that day, they can all run through gun sensitivity, and then you can do the blind, you know, they do the blind retrieve, or they may take your dog, do gun sensitivity, and then go do the blind retrieve. It depends on how the test is laid out and the, and the testing um, location. But in the test, your dog will do gun sensitivity, and the next thing they will do, regardless of how much time is in between, is the blind. Okay? And for those who don't understand the blind retrieve, it's basically a dead duck that's placed across a body of water, typically about 30 meters or 32 yards. Um, The dog doesn't get to see the duck thrown. It doesn't get to see the duck placed. It has no idea that anybody put a duck over there job is for the handler to bring the dog up then the judge will tell you the starting point it'll tell you the general direction of where the duck was placed and the dog is to go out with a command go across the water find the duck pick it up bring it back and retrieve it to hand sounds simple enough right sure sure absolutely a lot of dogs have a lot of trouble at first trying to make that connection of what you want transitioning from land to water. And so what I like to train with the, for this is with line drills. And what those are is, is you start on, I start on land. I'll have the dog sit at heel, make him stay. And I'll let him watch me put bumpers out so many yards and I'll put one at 10 yards one at 20 yards, one at 30, or I'll put a whole pile of them somewhere. Okay. But I let him see and then I, I start with having them retrieve those with my with my Thatcher back or a port command, depending on what you use. Um, and we just work on that. And so he learns that that when I send you, I want you to go get it and bring it to me. Mm-hmm. And I actually also use um, a, a white bucket at the at the far end. And some okay. people don't. 
I use that as a visual cue, um, and I put that at the farthest point that I either have the pile of, of dummies, I put it behind that, or I put it behind the furthest bumper that's out there. Okay. I continue to work on this until the dog understands that this is what we're doing. When I give you that command, I want you to go straight out and bring it back. Then what I do when I have that is I will take that same scenario and I will find a very narrow body of water and I will put the bucket on the other side of the water and I will put a bumper over there and I'll let the dog see me do it the first few times and send him across so that he has to go across the water and come back. And then I gradually do that same thing, but I widen, I widen the, the, the distance that the dog has to swim to get to that. Okay. If they have that, then I'll start moving the bucket further away from the bank, even though I'll keep the bumper or the duck or whatever right there at the bank where the, where the judge is most likely to put the, the game during test day. I'll move sure. the bucket back and make it a smaller and smaller visual, and then eventually I just get rid of the bucket completely. By then, the dog is understanding that we're going to swim across the water, we're going to pick it up, or we're going to bring it back. Okay. Okay. Some people do it differently. Um, there's another way to do it. Um, that I saw that works really well is, um, is a, for lack of a better term, like a one, two, three type drill. So the first time you bring the dog right up to the shore, you have somebody across the water, hey, get the dog's attention, just plop the duck, just make a little bit of a splash. Dog goes out to get it, brings it back. Um, then you take the dog off to the side, just out, just, just out of sight, and then you throw the duck and make a huge splash. The dog can hear it, but he doesn't get to see it, but it's in the same place. Take the dog mm-hmm. out, send them again. And then the third time, they don't get to see or hear it, and you send them across. You've got more okay. sense there. They understand that they're going across. They, they found something there. Two other times, there's going to be something there again. You're trying to teach the dog that I know as a handler, I know there's something there. I know where the duck is. I just need you to go get it. And so I use, I use a fetch command or a back command for that. And I think a lot of people use a port if they're using the German because it – I know it's there. I know you, I know, I want you to go get it, take off and go and, and bring it back to me. Okay. Um, I'm sure there's other ways to train this. Um, those, those two types of, of scenarios work for me. Um, a third way to train it is to send them out, do the visual the first time. And then as they're coming back, have somebody across the water, place another duck out there as the dog is swimming back to you with the first one and then turn around and send them again. Um, that's another way to train them too. That I know there's another one there. Go get it. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I see your point on that one. So yeah, they they've they've come back and they said, well, they found a duck there once. So you're gonna you're gonna flip them right back around and try to send them exactly right, right back in that again. And and now there's a scent trail on the water and so forth. Yep. And you're you're what you're ultimately trying to do is teach the dog to trust you that that there's, that there's something there to find. Right. Okay. Okay. I shot it. I know it's there. Even though you didn't see it or hear it, it's there. Because you don't get to use, use a gunshot with this one. The dog, you have to teach the dog to trust you that I really know there's something there. Hmm. So I use I use the fetch command for this, and then when we get to a search, I use a different command. And you'll see a lot of people use a separate command because in the blind, I'm telling you, I know it's there. Go get it. Right. When we do a search, I don't know where it went. I need you to go find it. Okay. I don't, I don't. I don't personally give the same command for that. Right. Right. So now, when we talk about the blind retrieve, I know that you know. Uh, again, I I train very similar to you. You know, this is the way I was taught. 
put the white bucket over there and again you you start off on land the dog starts learning that uh you know you put that white bucket there when you're doing your pile drills or your pile work um your ladder ladder work like you said uh ladder drills and stuff like that and sooner or later that dog realizes there and then all of a sudden the the, the dump bumpers aren't put by the white bucket anymore you know they're put around the white bucket you know you scatter them 10 yards behind 10 yards to the left 10 yards to the right um and that's how you can start to develop a search too you know behind it but again they don't rely on that and then they just know they got to get over to that bucket and then somewhere over there like you said uh, and then eventually that white bucket just disappears but the more you make it repetitive for these dogs the more you build trust with them that every time you give them a command you say hey trust me there's something over there. You need to go over there and do it and get that. Um, you know, like Lori said, uh, you're going to develop drive in that dog. That dog knows it's there. So uh, you build a trust with them. Now, right. I like that other method, too. That's that's pretty neat. And, you know, that's, that's interesting. Um, you know, I know a lot of guys talk about the blind retreat. They do it different ways. And the same difference, too. Same thing like you said. Find a very narrow body of water. When I'm transitioning from land to water with this bucket, right? So it's, you know, 10 yards. Then you try to find a 20-yard stream. Then a 30-yard, you know, so or stream or, you know, uh, creek or whatever it be. Um, small pond, uh, you know, something like that. That you can stretch out the distance. And, you know, you know whether they're going to go for a bucket 100 yards on land. And then you slap it to 30 yards on water and go, well, they should go. They want 100 yards on land. They're, kinda, they're not going to. You're going to have to step back. And start at step one again with these dogs and build that foundation just like force break you know you 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 do your bumpers on the table then you bring them to the ground you got them retrieving reliably now you're doing some fun drills with them now you you up your game and you go to frozen birds well don't expect them to be perfect you're gonna you're gonna have to do some tuning on that thing right there um and especially when you go to thawed birds or freshly freshly dispatched birds um don't expect it to be perfect. So same thing with the bucket. Do it on land and then transition it back to water. Yeah, the thing about training dogs is they don't, they're not programmed to make the leap from step A to step C. You have to teach them A, B, B to C. Mm -hmm. And they have to understand because, because we can't talk to them, we have to teach them that this is what we want. And and where I, I see a lot of newer handlers get frustrated is they don't understand that they really have to break it down. You sure, know? sure. And if you think about trying to teach a toddler how to write or a little kid to how to write letters, right? You're going to teach them how to do the, for letter A, you're going to teach them the first line. Then you're going to teach them the second line. And then the third, you're not going to hand the whole thing to them and expect mm -hmm. them to be able to do it. And it's the same thing with dogs. They, they want to please you. They want to do whatever would make you happy but you have to really break it down. And same thing with these, these drills is, you know, land is something completely different than water. Um, it's a completely different task for them. They're not, they're not going to understand that, that that's the same activity. It smells different. It looks different. It feels different. And they have to learn that it's, it's, it's still what you want them to do. And the nice thing about land is when you're training on land at first, it's much easier for you to help them and correct them. Mm -hmm. You have to swim across the water with them because they're not they're not getting it so um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> patience is key here when you're transitioning from from land to water and so make sure you give yourself enough time to be able to train this before testing, absolutely testing season 
Absolutely. And I think, and a good, you know, for me, like, and again, this is, you know, when I, when I did with Grant, um, my older male, um, I kind of set a timeline for all this, for, you know, gun sensitivity, for blind retreat, for search behind a duck. When it came to the fall test, um, you know, he had hunted a whole season already. So he was doing well in the field work. His search was doing well. Um, you know, I was pretty confident in those subjects. Although, <laughs> we all say that, uh, you know, the thing that you're most comfortable with or you think the dog's going to do the best in is usually the one that tends to turn around and bite you. Um, but, no, seriously, though, he was doing well in that, you know, and we did have, you know, some hiccups in the drags. Um, but we we worked them nice and even keel, tried to keep it at one drag per week, and we'd alternate one week and do a duck and the next week and do a rabbit. And I had a pretty good timeline on that, and we stretched them out distance-wise and then give them a couple weeks off and do more bird work and then focus back more on drags. But when it came to the water work, I think there was – I think, Lori, I had it broke down. It was like – I think by the second week of June, and I was testing in like the end of August. So second week of June, I wanted him to be crossing the water for shackled ducks on a bucket, you know, for developing his duck search and working on the blind. And every had, you know, a milestone or something more to just. Tim, are you still there? Yeah, I, I can't hear you at all, Tim. And I'm looking on the, the dial in the alt the alt two, and it's not showing any volume for you at all. You want me to dial back in? Can you hear? Can you hear there me now? Goes. There you are. Yay. Okay, you know what? For some reason, I don't know why this microphone kicked out. Let me try switching it back. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay, I can hear you too. So, um, call that, what did I say? It was 41. Okay, hold on. So, it's 41 minutes. We got some technical difficulties. Okay, all right. And we'll kick back off. We'll give it a couple seconds. We'll kick back in there and try to see. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll fade us in back. We already been at forty-one minutes. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, I, well, ten. We we started recording at ten minutes. So okay. So we so we're really about thirty-one minutes into recording right now. So okay. All right. So give me a second here, and I'll go. We'll go quiet for a couple seconds, and I'll jump back in. Sure. All right. So back to our listeners. I apologize. We had a little technical difficulty with some microphone issues here. So we'll jump back in and. Uh, I think uh, 
somewhere around uh, our talk about, uh, you know, timelines uh, for tests and so forth like that. So develop a timeline for yourself, uh, you know, break it down, compartmentalize all the components of it and what it's going to take, like Lori said, to get you from A to B to C to D to E all the way to Z, right? You want to be able to complete that. So um, I think that's kind of key you know, in any aspect of the test that we're doing here. So sound, sound about on par, Lori? Yeah, yep, I would agree. Oh. Yeah. Now, when it comes to test day for the blind retrieve, you know, give our listeners a little bit of, like, what do you do on test day? Yeah, so, so on the blind retrieve, um, I try to, you know, just keep the dog calm and relaxed, just healing um, on lead. And then I don't, when it, when it comes to my turn, I don't run up there. A lot of newer handlers get nervous that they need to rush. Um, the more you rush, the more nervous you're going to get, the more nervous your dog's going to get because they're going to feed off of you. So um, try to, to get there, you know, relatively quickly, but, but don't, don't run. Don't make your dog wonder what's going on. Walk up to the starting point the way you've trained, right? Test day is not the day to change anything. Mm -hmm. so, um, you can take your time and you can get your dog set up. Make sure that he's focused before you give him that command to take off. Um, <clears throat> make sure that you've, you've got a good place to stand so that you don't slip and fall or step on your dog or anything like that as you go to release him. Um, it's, it's where I see a lot of people, you know, they, they get so nervous and get, get hurried and then they have those kind of unfortunate things happens and it throws the focus off of the dog. So however you've trained, whatever, whatever placement, if you put your hand next to their head to show them which direction or anything like that, make sure that you follow those same steps on test day. So the dog is here. Um, and then when you're ready, you send the command and then they'll have you stay right there. And they want the dog to work independently without any influence. You, you, you can, but again, you'll you'll take a hit, um, and they want the dog to go out as soon as the dog sense the game. Like you can see where their nose comes up and they turn, or any, it's 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 deemed that they've found the game, right? So the dog must retrieve that duck in order to continue on with the test. So um, for test day, you don't know exactly where the judges are going to place your duck. So when you're training, mm -hmm. put it put it in the water in a bunch of you know, weeds, put it on the bank in a bunch of weeds, put it up the hill a little ways or put it white, white, you know, kind of in the open, but not where the dog can see it. Mix it up so that, so the dog is used to reaching into different types of cover to grab that duck. Um, and then the dog should come right back to you. And when the dog is coming back, you know, when, you want to be in a position that you're normally in when they come out of the water. Now, a judge may ask you to back up. So mm -hmm. when you're training, don't just always stand right at the edge of the water and grab the duck from the dog. You want to you want to mix that up too. You know, be at the edge of the water one time, have them see you backing up as they're coming at you another time. Another time as they're going out, get back all the way up. Mm -hmm. Train for that because you don't know what the judge is going to ask you to do. They may, they may sure. want to see, because they're looking at the manner of retrieve also, and they may want to see something a little different from your dog as, as it comes out with that, with that retrieve. So um, 
they'll tell you if they want you to do something different and it's not if they ask you to do something different a lot of times they're trying to help you so just okay. so that you train to move back forth to the side whatever um and then take your time and you know and have the dog come to you and deliver the duck right right now you know and again something i was taught and this this started you know well before you know any involvement with you know the nadkc or any of the german organizations when we would train in navda for any of the water retrieves um you know as your dog got to be about three to four yards meters in the water and and you know they were at that standing depth water right you know they're coming out of the water as they approached you you know you stood at that shoreline and waited for them to, to complete that retrieve or that duck search and you sat there antsy and you know you've kind of matted down the grass and you know your your feet have kind of grown roots there right um don't forget like like Lori mentioned too and the way i was taught is take one or two steps back no one's saying you gotta you know you know give them you know 10 20 yards or anything like that and coax them out of the water and use this some type of training technique but give them a little space to come out of the water especially after they've worked for that duck on a duck search um you know dogs that are kind of forced at that edge of the water there you know they could they could balk off you a little bit so give them a little bit of space let them come up and present game especially when you know when that that'll play into the manor or tree i'm sure uh that was something i was taught i don't know if if, if you got the same advice along the years Lori or yeah, yep, yep. A lot of times the, the dog is more comfortable if they have a little room to, to get completely out of the water before reaching you. Sure, sure. And then now, let me ask you this. Now, do you, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, uh, and again, back to our condition of game that we use in a test. Do you use a separate duck from the gun sensitivity or from, the, from your field drag? to your gun sensitivity, to your blind retrieve? Do you use different ducks? I will always bring two ducks with me. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I, will, I will use the first, the, the, the drag duck for my gun sensitivity. And I'll make the determination at that time if I want to switch to a different duck for my okay. blind. It just depends on how wet the duck is. I want, I want to make sure that the duck is, is as dry as possible. So a lot of times I'll switch for the blind. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'll get that opportunity. Sometimes the judge, you know, grabs the duck from you and hangs onto it and they've numbered them and everything to keep them. Um, so the game is, is not influencing another dog that's running a test or anything like that. But if sure. I have the option, a lot of times I'll, I'll get that dry, that second dry duck out um, mm -hmm. for the blind. And again, to a handler, you know, these judges, want to see you succeed with your dog they didn't come there that day they're not giving up their time they didn't apprentice all them years and times and countless miles and stay in hotel rooms they don't do that repeatedly to go to a test to see your dog fail they go to a test to judge your dog to try to see the best potential in your dog to make it breedable within the system, right? To to see these dogs succeed. So they want to see well-prepared dogs. Um, they want to pass dogs and everything else like that. So that being said, if you feel that you've trained with a separate duck every time, and even though they may have said, okay, we're going to go over, well, you know what, judge, do you mind if I give you a different duck? Or tell them that before you even start. Tell them that you have a separate duck for your blind retreat. 
and then they're kind of prepared for it a little bit too. So um, don't be afraid to speak up. They wanna they wanna see the best out of your dog in this test too. So yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. A lot of times, you know, you can ask during or ahead of time, and the judge will will help you with that. So right, right. So now you brought up a good point too when you when you're training for this uh, blind retrieve or any aspect of the test. Um, you, you vary it up. Don't consistently put it right in the open water in front of a little patch of reeds that you train on this pond every other week and the dog goes over there and it never breaks its comfort zone, right? So after the dog is successful doing something, you know, like Lori said, try to train for four or two failure, if you want to say. You don't want to see your dog fail, but you've got to get your dog out of its comfort zone too. It's got to use its nose when it gets over there. It can't just run over there and say, hey, there's always been a duck right in front of these reeds. Because test day may come, and even if you're testing on your, your home field there, you know, the judges may not put it where you trained at. They might put it 10 yards away from there. And all of a sudden your dog runs to that spot, and now your dog just gets hung up there and won't leave that spot and says, Dad, the duck's always been here. What are you doing? So so kind of vary it up, you know, once you get a dog comfortable doing stuff, train for, you know, train for variances or potential hiccups or problems or anything like that. Yeah, and, and one thing I learned on that was I was told that, you know, if the dog doesn't truly know the task that you're asking them to do until they can do it in three completely different places or scenarios. Okay. So when you think about that, you know, if you if you are testing where you train, it's going to be very, very convenient to just test there all the train there all the time. And um, you'll want to get them out of that to exactly to your point, get them out of their comfort zone so that they learn that, you know, we're going to do this regardless of where we are. And um, you'll find that, you know, sometimes they've got it and they just do it no matter what. And then every once in a while you'll find, you know what, I'm not real, not real keen on this. Perfect example is if you get into a pond that has lily pads, Mm -hmm. that will mess a dog up so fast if they get their legs tangled in any of that stuff and they just, they'll walk and they'll just go in there. Yeah, so it's, right. They won't, they won't, judges won't typically try to put you, if something happens and it's the only ground that's available, they may have to. So you <laughs> want to try to train for all those different types of things and train in the rain, train when it's hot, train, you know, when you really don't want to, that's because you can't control the weather on test day. So you want to get them out there in those scenarios. I was at an OBDA test one time, a utility test, and I went to do my uh, marked retrieves, and it mm. poured, it downpoured. And I mean, it poured and poured and poured and poured and until I got done. And then for the next dog, it finally stopped. But I mean, my dog looked at me like, are you serious? We're, we're doing this? <laughs> she, went, she went, but she looked at me like, you're kidding, right? And, but it was, I mean, <laughs> I was drenched. In just a little bit of time it took to, to run that scenario. So <laughs> my my old girl that that passed last year, she uh, she hated going out of the rain. She she would she would hold her bladder for for two days if it was raining out. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. She like she would know not to eat, so she wouldn't have to go to the bathroom <laughs> or stay away from the water bowl. But you know you would take that dog out hunting, and it could be torrential downpour, freezing rain, lightning, thunder everything 
and that talk would just be gone, right? It didn't care about any of that stuff uh, when it was when it was hunting. But go out to the bathroom, God forbid, the right. grass is wet. <laughs> I'll just pee in the rocks over here, Dad. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, and and you know that that holds true. You know, with uh, training in different locations, we always say that. We talk about it um, time and time again. In fact, I am uh, uh, just started doing a force break with uh, with my young pup. And I'm kind of nervous to some aspects because she's doing very well. You know, we're, we're two weeks into it today. And uh, she's, um, she's lunging across the table, picking up objects, bringing them back, sitting up and down the table, uh, you know, carrying them. Uh, healing around the yard and stuff with them and then back on the table to uh, present game or present the object per se um, and we, we've we've uh, scaled through various objects we're up to a 16 ounce mallet right now next week we'll switch to a 20 ounce rubber mallet and and some other fun stuff uh, that, I, that I throw into the mix of things um, but yeah every time I enter a new object in even though she's barreling across the table for that that dumbbell Okay, that wooden dumbbell or the the big bumper that she's been doing for five days now. I can't expect her to go pick up that rabbit doken from the other end of the table or even out of my hand. She's got to introduce it, you know, right up close and then work it all the way through like we talked about. So, um, and I promise you, I'll be be at a buddy of mine's place next week with her. And, you know, he's got, uh, you know, set up outside with some tables and stuff and train tables. and, And I can't expect her to be at the same point she is at home there she's going to be two or three steps behind there because of the distractions and everything else like that so you know make it to other locations train at other places too it's going to be very very important so so you have anything else on the blind retrieve lori or do you think you're we're ready to move to the duck search I, i think we covered it i think we're ready to move on perfect Perfect. So, okay. Um, cool. So search behind the duck. So how do you, uh, you know, how do you advance to, you know, from the, the, the blind retrieves and the buckets to that and, and where do you start working your ducks and, and how do you get ready for this test? Yep. So I generally train my dog in the same order of the test. You know, we get the gun sensitivity down, we get the blind retrieve down and then we move to the search. Because if, if you have the blind retrieve locked down where the dog knows to go across and find it, now when you send them on a search, they're probably going to go straight across. Even though I use a different command, I use a search command. Um, some people use Zook for search. Um, but a lot of times the dog will still take that line across thinking that this is still the same thing and the mom just screwed up and said the wrong word. Mm-hmm. And but as soon as they get over there and they see there's not a duck there, they almost naturally search, and okay. um, and that's ideal, right? Because then they'll go along and and they'll search for it, and the duck will be somewhere placed further down to where, you know, I like to keep it. You know, at the beginning, I may put a duck for training. I may put a duck upwind so they can get a good snoot of it and find it but it's not going to be anywhere where they're used to finding it for the blind. But then as I continue training and they start to, to get the gist of, okay, we're looking for this thing. I'll put mm-hmm. it downwind so that they, they don't, they can't 
they can't use their nose to find it until they get downwind of it and they've got to branch out and search. Um, you'll find that some dogs do this naturally. You'll find some dogs don't have a clue. And okay. um, when you're training for this, you know, you, I, I will walk along the bank to try to draw the dog up. I will have somebody at the far end with bumpers yelling at the dog, getting their attention and throwing the thing in the air and then sending the dog. I'll send a duck from there, a, a shackled duck, um, so that by the time the dog swims all the way up there, the duck has had a chance to move and leave a trail and hide. So they're mm-hmm. learning that, that they need to go up there and, and, and check it out. Um, when I'm training for this, um, the one thing I always make sure I, I don't do, and I learned this um, early on, was want to avoid putting out anything for the dog to find that's close to where you're standing. Let me explain. You send the dog out for a search. They're doing a great search. Well, there's no duck out there or they can't find the duck, but you want them to be successful. So a lot of people will take another, a dead duck or a bump or something and they'll whip it out there from where they're, they're standing to give the dog something to find so they're successful, which is all well and good. The only problem is if you do that very often, the dog will go out, do a search, they'll come back and they'll look at you because they know you're going to throw something eventually. Right. So you want to have it placed somewhere down. So if you're training by yourself, you put that duck out there. If there's a chance the dog's not going to find it, put put a dead duck down at the other end of the pond or something so that, you know, regardless of which way the dog goes, they're going to find one or the other. If the dog, if there's a dead duck laying on the bank, they're going to find it eventually, even if you have to maybe kind of guide them down there at first to kind of get them down to that end of the pond. Um, but stay away from <clears throat> from that general launch area. Um, the other thing is, um, and Jeff actually taught me this, and it's 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 pretty cool. So when the dog is searching and comes back to you, we don't ever stop it, reset him, and resend him. Okay. When he, when the dog comes back, I, I give the dog a chance to just keep going at first. If the dog hesitates. I ah, search and let them know, don't be coming back here without my duck. Um, because otherwise a dog will go out and search. They can't find it. And they'll come back and sit and wait for you to give them another command. Well, that's going to kill you in the test, right? Because now you've given an, another command to, to do the task. Okay. So, so we just keep them moving, keep them moving and let them, let them understand that, you know, you're not done yet. I know there's a duck out there. I don't know where it is. It's your job to find it. You keep looking until you, until you find it. Um, for the test, um, the judge will put, put the duck out and, uh, you won't get to see where the duck is launched from. Mm-hmm. They'll bring you up to a starting point. They'll give you a general direction, but they won't give you the spot where the, the duck took off and you, you send the, you send the dog out. Okay. Ideally. You want the, the dog to search independently without any kind of commands. You can help guide the dog with, you know, hand signals, that type of thing. But ideally, you'd like the dog to do that all on his own without your influence. Um, the other thing I've seen, too, is if, if people get too um, – they do too much training with the hand signals, the dog will stop and look at you and wait for you to tell it which direction to go. Sure, and sure, absolutely. And judges want to see the dog just tear up a pond and really go after it and and look all over for that and just keep going until you either 
call them back or they find the duck. Okay. So that's something else to train for. Um, sometimes, you know, because if you get to the VGP level, you'll have an event where you actually do a search without a duck. So you also want to train that as well because if in the HCP test that we're talking about, the dog doesn't find the duck, judges may call, have you call the dog in, and you want to train the dog that when I, when I do call you, I want you to come in, right? Right, right? When you're training for that, my recommendation is don't call them in when they're close to you. Wait until they're out searching and then call them in so that they learn that, you know, it's not okay to, it's never okay to just come back. I'm not going to let you come back. I'm not going to call you if you're by me. I need you to keep searching until I think we're done. Okay. Um, in the test, when the dog does find the duck and the dog pushes the duck out of cover, um, then the duck is going to be shot so that the dog can retrieve it. Some cases, the dog will actually pin the duck to the bank and actually catch it themselves and the duck doesn't need to be shot. In either case, the dog must retrieve the duck and deliver it to hand. There's gonna be some times where they don't find the duck, does a heck of a dog, duck search, and the judges say, yep, that's good, and they can score that even if they don't find the duck. Now, it used to be they had to have a duck out there for that retrieve, they've changed that rule now. So some dogs may have a, a, an additional retrieve in this event, and some dogs may not if they don't find the duck. So definitely wanna train for both scenarios to be able to call your dog back in as well. Can you hear me now, Lori? Yep, I got you. Okay, so um, my microphone seems to keep jacking up here. I apologize. So uh, you still got me now? I do. Okay, perfect. So I apologize, listeners. Um, so, you know, and that and that's the HZP now on on the Zalms end of it, which is the uh, DKV test, we still do require that duck to be thrown. So if a dog does not produce a duck um, during its duck search, that either it catches or is dispatched a shot for them uh, to complete that fifth retrieve of the day, they do throw a dead duck, which, you know, again, like you said, it, it, it you know, we, 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 train all the way up to that point uh to try to get the dog not to come back to us or be near us and uh and then um you know uh we do that in the in the test so it makes things a little difficult um but but yeah as far as uh as far as that goes uh um sorry go ahead and continue on with what you were saying oh yeah and that's a good point so in the psalms even if they are going to throw that duck out there if you've trained to have them continue searching, and then you've trained them to come back when you need them to. Mm -hmm. They're going to throw that duck out to where the dog has a chance to find it. Mm -hmm. and so in, in training for that, um, I recommend that you have somebody off to the side throw the duck somewhere else so they can find it there versus being out in front of you um, just to, to not teach them that, what we talked about earlier about just kind of hanging out where you are. But, yeah, you definitely want to, to continue that. And you're going to have some of that training with the gun sensitivity um, to teach them to go out and pick up that, that dead duck in the water. Sure. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I just I, – I, uh, I meant to uh, have a note there to say about that because I know – I figured if we started getting talking about, you know, the, the, uh, the fall breed test there, uh, sometimes we, we neglect to remember that 
DKV didn't adopt the same uh, the same changes that the the JGHV did with with the duck search and even the subtle commands like like you said you're allowed you know you're allowed to give a, a, a correction retrieve uh, when it comes to the you know the HZP test but in the the Zalms you're not so you you would uh, uh, you know like I think it was a drop a predicate correct for each. Each time you give a correction or read, you know, another command, does that sound right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So, and again, you know, the same thing, the, the search behind the duck, that's, that's like you said, that's kind of the pinnacle of the test. Um, scoring wise, just keep this in the back of your mind, you know, listeners, you know, first time handlers, um, in order to get a prize one, you, well, you need a very good predicate or a four. Right, so for the for the Zalms test, we we're one through four. For the HZP, it's one through. Uh, well, again, uh, duck search will be one through twelve, correct? Because it's not a the natural correct. ability subject. You can get an eleven or a twelve in a duck search. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So you need something in a very very good predicate, which would be nine, ten, or eleven. Correct, Lori. Right. Okay, so and then that's that's for a prize. Well, again, we have a prize one. I, the HZP, you know, doesn't necessarily have a prize to it as much as they do an overall point score. So, um, but uh, so that's kind of how we look at things a little bit differently from the DKV standpoint and the testing and stuff like that. So, um, but okay, now when it comes to, and I think, and again, excuse me if we said this already. I apologize. I'm trying to remember here. Um, you talked about you know training aspect of it. We talked about um, the test day itself. So you know what would be your advice to uh, a first time handler coming into the duck search? Um, so again, just like the blind, you want to approach the starting area just like you do when you train. You know, when they call you, you need to be ready, but don't run, don't rush, don't give your dog any reason to, to get nervous about what we're doing. They, you want to walk up there the way you've, you've always done it so they know that, okay, this is what we're doing. Again, I recommend, I recommend a different command for the duck search than I do any of the, the blind or anything like that because you don't know where this duck is, and you want to teach the dog that I shot it, I know it's out there. I just don't know where, and that's what I need you to go find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, take your time. Get the dog set up. Whatever, whatever position you use. However, you put your hand next to the dog's head. If you do that, if you tap him on the head, whatever it is you do to send them, just follow that same procedure so the dog knows that this is what we're doing. Okay. And, um, and then once the dog is out there. If you have questions for the judge, you know, ask the judge, you know, can I move up and down? How far can I go? You know, and because you can, you can help the dog a little bit. Some judges, you know, like to see it stay closer by. Some of them want to see it go further up. Um, but uh, it doesn't hurt to ask any questions. And, is, and ideally, you know, if a dog can do it all by themselves, that's, that's the ultimate. That's what you're ultimately going for is, you're in a hunting situation, you shot a duck, it fell clear over on the other side, but the ducks are still flying, but there's current, okay, I want to send the dog to get that duck, I wanted to get him back here, but I want to keep hunting, so I'm going to send him on a search, and ideally he'll go out and keep looking until he finds it, I can keep hunting, 
and he'll bring it to me when he finds it. So on test day, you want to kind of adopt that same thing that if, you know, less is more, if you can get the dog to where it'll just do it on its own, that's what you want. Because on test day, when they come back, if they come back by you, you want to have trained for that to where they're going to keep going and not just sit next to you. Because if you give, have to give them another command, that's going to that's gonna dock you. Okay. okay. Now, if they do that, though, however, if they sit there and they don't move, you're better off to eventually just give them the command than sit there and wait and wait and wait. Because the longer you wait, your score is going to start dropping anyway because you're losing time and, and, and stuff to get that done. So if, if you know the dog's not going to go, it's time to just give them another command and send them. Right. Exactly. You know, at that point... Like you said, you're already in a situation, you know, you're you're trying to recover from that situation, right. but don't be so quick or hastily, you know, I mean, to give the dog a command if he's bringing a retrieve back, give him an opportunity to sit. But then again, also, I think, you know, one of the, the biggest uh, problems or hurdles that, especially new handlers, and I've been there, I've done it, I'm sure you have, and, you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, it still happens on occasion, you know, reading your dog. Um, you know, and it, and it comes with, with everything. I know you, you know, you mentioned earlier in the podcast about, you know, blood tracking. I know we, we've had an opportunity to, to train together before and same thing. You've taught me some things about, you know, reading your dog and that goes all the way down to a retrieve too. I think, I think I was in a test and he was bringing a rabbit back and, uh, as he's bringing it back, he stopped about all oh, good. 20 yards shy i mean slowly trotted back and i'm like and it was in the zombs test i'm thinking crap he's gonna drop this rabbit <laughs> and i i didn't even hesitate as if with the, when he got within that one step reach i just got that one leap step out and grabbed the rabbit from him and said thank you judges and the judge looked at me and said you know, you could have gave him a chance to get all the way to you and sit. I said, I could have, except he's never stopped 20 yards from me. So, you know, all I could think of is he's going to drop that rabbit and you know, whatever. So, yep. you know, you you, you got to read your dogs in a test. Um, you know, like Lori mentioned, guys and gals, um, prepare, train, you know, train for different scenarios. Um, you know, always, always, always make your dog present with game. Uh, never take that game shy of doing that in a training scenario, uh, even if it means a correction or a command. Um, it, it'll benefit you in test day. And then if you do have to take that hit in test day, at least you, you know, can and can go in a little quickly and and grab, um, grab the grab the, uh, the the game from the dog and not get penalized. So um, something to keep in mind, you know, as 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 you get ready for your test here. So. Um, now we were talking about, you know, so, so the, the duck search itself, um, yeah, I think we've, we've pretty much covered every avenue unless, unless you're thinking of something else here, Lori. Um, nope, nope. I think we got it on the duck search. Um, okay. Okay. So then I'll, I'll give you, uh, give you the floor for manner of retrieve. Um, I know we, it'll encompass everything we talked about today. So, yep. um, so. So retrieving is really the crux of this test. It is a breed test, but it's a retrieving reliability test. That's what this test is designed to show that the dog will go get the game and bring it to you because it's all about game recovery. So 
time, this is where you need to make sure that your dog is short up, is on the, the force fetching, the retrieve, whatever you call it, retrieve training. If you are not, if you don't fully have your dog retrieve training, it will almost always present itself as a problem in the test. Um, so make sure you spend the time making sure that that dog is completely force broke. It will fetch anything that you tell it to fetch. It will always bring it to you. It will present it to you. And you've worked through all of the issues that go along with that with that um, training. Because, and I've had it happen to me. I had a dog that wasn't quite quite done, and I watched her as the day went on because you're asking them to do retrieve after retrieve after retrieve all day long. And I keep bringing you this stuff. I don't really want to. I want to keep it. So by the end of the day, you know what? I think I'm just going to keep it. And <laughs> um, so that's where it'll get you in the test if you don't fully have that done. And when you talked about, you know, you thought he was going to drop the rabbit and you reached out and grabbed it, you can do that. And you will take a little hit on manner of retrieve, but read your dog. I got, I had a dog I, I got at the very last minute. I had to get her through HCP. She was avoiding. She didn't want to bring the game in, and I had to make her trust me when I took her over to, to get her to bring that to me. But on test day, I knew that we were running a fine line there. Mm-hmm. And so anytime she brought it to me, I would just take it. And I didn't make her, I didn't wait for her to sit. I didn't wait for her to do that. So I did take a little bit of a hit on manners, but I got her through the test. And so if you are having that issue, you need to make the determination at that time of what you're going to, how much, how long you're going to wait and what you're going to allow them to do before you um, move on. If you do have that issue on test day, and I do this in training too, is when I'm working on that, I don't always take the game from them when they bring it to me. Sometimes I let them keep it, and I heal okay. them back to the truck. Other times mm-hmm. I'll take it, I'll look it over, I'll give it right back to them. Sometimes I'll let them walk away, so I'll take it. I'll walk away, so give it back. I'll walk. Sometimes I'll take it immediately. Um, I mix it up so that they don't think that every time they come to me, I'm going to take it away from them. Because right. in their minds, they've worked for it, they found it, they know you want it, but they also did it, and they, they frankly enjoy having that in their mouth, and they want to keep it. And so I found that that helps work through some of that stuff to where they're not as, you know, because the minute that dog turns his head away from you, it's it's defying you, it's wanting to keep that game. And then the dog that I had to, you know, I didn't have completely broke at the time of the test, the time she got back with her duck search, and of course she found her duck, and I was starting to go downhill. She got back to me at the at the the water's edge, and I watched her, and she did a complete circle, and I knew what was coming. The next thing was going to be is she's going to take off. So when she rounded the front, when that front end came around, I grabbed the duck. I didn't wait for anything else <laughs> because I knew what was going to happen, and and so we got through it. Manners wasn't a, a real pretty score, but at least we didn't fail the test. Um, sure. But I can't stress this enough that, that you've got to take the time to do the retrieve training. It's not the most fun thing to do because you're requiring a dog to do something they don't really want to do. And you, and you have to have that battle. You have to make the dog understand that this is how this is going to roll. This is what I expect. There's consequences if you don't. And you'll get through it. And then you'll have a much better dog in the process because then – then they get it. They're like, okay, you're going to get it. And then I get to do something else. And then I get to do something else. And then I get to have it back or I get to, you know, it's fun. It doesn't right. become this, this drill all the time to where every time I go get something, it's taken away from me. And I don't want to do that because sure. the boss sure. tells me I got to do it. I got to do it. And it's going to, it's going to trans, 
it's going to transfer to every single element in this test. Right? Yeah. And you got to have it down. I, you know, because even in the drags, you know, if they think they're out of sight and they don't, they're not completely force broke, they may play with that game or they may toss it in the air. They may leave it there. You know, they may do all kinds of things that you're not expecting. You know, you'll hear people say that the most common thing you hear at a test is, well, they've never done that before. <laughs> you know? And they will. They And they'll do things at a test that you're not expecting because, frankly, even though you train and try to replicate this, you re can't really replicate test day. Right. You know, as close nope, as you try I, to get I completely it, agree. Yeah. So, so on the retrieving piece, you know, when you're training, take your time, break it down step by step. Don't try to rush ahead. So you get them on the table, make sure you work with the bumpers, change up the types of things you're having them, introduce dead game, introduce live game. I'm telling you, when you go from bumpers to game, it's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. Make them go back mm -hmm. and, and, you know, make them retrieve that, that bad duck and then put out a bumper and make them do it. Because until they'll do that for you reliably, you're not done training that, that force breaking. Because they, that's boring. I don't want to go back and get the bumper. I want the duck. Sure. So until you right. do that every time, you're not done. Mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah. So, and, and once you have that, then on this test day, they'll get the, you know, you want to make sure they have the good grip. You want to make sure that they're bringing it to you willingly. Um, people have different um, viewpoints on how they want the dog to present. Some people have the dog come to their side. Some people have them come straight on. Mm -hmm. um, my personal recommendation is have them come straight to you because if they, if they, if they are in my, my, this is my opinion, if they're coming around to heel on your side, they could also get by you and start parading around behind you. And then it becomes this show of, Hey, look what I got. And now you're going to take a hit on banners because they're not bringing it to you. They're, they're going off and doing their own thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And, it, and when I they can knock you up. No. They can. Yeah, they can dock you for that. So, um, willing to retrieve. They want to see the dog willingly retrieve it, to be happy about it. So, they want to see the <clears> dog <throat> coming in and sitting and looking at you and looking up at you and waiting for you to take it and, right. and not be, you know, skulking and, and slowly coming and knowing, you know, I don't want to do, you know. They want to see that enthusiasm that you know that they're they're bringing that to you. Sure, absolutely, and I I think uh, like we talked about you know a couple of minutes ago, and and just using my own experiences now, you know, force breaking this pup, um, you know, and, and again, it's like anything else. Uh, I I want to make that retrieving game fun for them. I mean, there, there's going to be pressure involved because that's the the nature of what you're doing with the force break, right? Um, but you know, I, I, and again, I did, I did things. I tried little variances with every dog, as I'm sure every handler does. Well, I'm going to do this different. I'm going to do this different with the next dog or something like that. Well, just because of the timeline and everything, when she come home and we just, you know, we we weren't able to get out to the field. Um, you know, another friend of mine had a pup about the same age, and you know, we had been taking, you know, notes and you know, uh, exchanging, uh, you know, tra inside trading secrets, I guess, and uh, what his dog was doing or my dog was doing and just talking about things. He says, you know, I've been I've been playing, doing a little bit of, like, kind of cornered play retrieve with the dog to try and foster his natural retrieve more. He says, you know, I wonder if this will help develop 
you know, an excitement for the retrieve. And I says, yeah, you know, okay. So I started doing that with Lucy, and I, I would do it in a in a hallway or in the corner of the garage or somewhere where she she was, you know, kind of forced. And it was only three, four, five foot retrieve, but just got her excited about them bumpers to the point where, you know, even before we started force breaking, um, you know, we could get her to go, you know, throw a bumper and she would excitedly retrieve it, you know. Now it's nothing thrown. She just has to go off of that command. And, you know, still, I'm still trying to make it enjoyable for her to want to do this. So, um, seems to be going good, but we'll see. Where I'm sure we're we're not out of the woods yet by any which means, right? <laughs> right. And and, oh. and, and, if, and you want to make it fun for them, and it's not going to all be fun. So if you can find something the dog really loves. I have one dog that is so ball crazy that she could care less about any treats I could ever give her. Okay. If I present that ball, she's all about it. So uh -huh. it, you know what I mean? So find, find something your dog really, really enjoys, and that – that needs to be their, their prize for this kind of stuff because, I mean, it's it's hard to make this this element fun, but it's so critical to have a good hunting dog. Sure, sure, absolutely. And I, like I said, I was very fortunate with Grant. He uh, from you know, and again from an early age, he always thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed retrieves, and uh, and I'm hoping that. You know, she lends it, that Lucy lends the same way that, uh, you know, it'll be it'll be a fun thing for her, too. So um, but and again, on that note, you know, when you talk about training for this stuff, I've heard in you tell me your insight. You tell me what you, you think of this idea um, and what you you've learned along the way. Some people I talk to say that they'll give a treat on every retrieve all the way up to the test day. That the dog learns that every retrieve it ever does, it gets a treat. Um, you know, and some dogs are extremely food motivated. Like you said, your, your one dog is motivated by this ball, but, uh, most dogs are, uh, break out a piece of, uh, what are those, uh, uh, pepperoni sticks or, uh, mm -hmm. dog, uh, pepperoni sticks, you know, they, they seem to go crazy for them. Yeah. And, and, and you have to, again, it's reading your dog. So if, if the dog isn't like overly excited about it, it's, it's, probably not something you want to do with every retrieve but if it's something that really does work for your dog then go for it i had one one of my wild child i was surprised i even made it through hcp she did really well but that day i had i had cooked chicken in my pouch <laughs> so, yeah. you know and i knew that that would that would turn turn up the volume a little bit and it worked so sure. um i start with the treats you know when i when i'm working on the the, the retrieving and then i i phase it out Okay. Because I, I don't want them to to associate eventually associate with that with you know they gotta have it every tree or they just won't do it. I want them to understand that they do it regardless, and mm -hmm. I, I will give treats occasionally versus just every single one. But at the beginning, oh yeah, definitely want I want to give them praise for every every time they do it right. Okay. Okay. And that that kind of rolls us right into cooperation. I mean. When we talk about these subjects here, how does how does cooperation, and you know, what do you what do you look for, you know, in these subjects with your dog with cooperation? Like, give us give the, the yeah. listeners some examples so, of that, and how do you foster it, yeah. and what do you look for on test day? So, for a lot of new new handlers, it's very confusing to understand the difference between cooperation and obedience. And when you think about it, and it's actually written in the rule book, it says cooperation is the dog's desire to maintain contact with the handler. Okay? 
So it really is what it means. It's, it's you know, the dog is working for you as a handler. When you're out in the field searching, it, it'll make, it'll turn and keep an eye on where you're going. If you turn a different direction, the dog will kind of follow. Um, when it's when it's out doing the duck search, it'll still maintain um, knowledge of where you are. They're not self-hunting. They're not just running off and doing their own thing. The judges can tell that they are working for the handler to, to provide, to find that game for that handler, right? And they come back willingly and deliver that game to you. They want, they, they seek you out. I mean, there's, you're out there with the judges and sometimes you'll have a gallery of people following you if, if you allow that. Um, and the dog will come searching just for you to bring you that game. They're not, they're not worried about everybody else. And that's, that's what you see in cooperation. And they'll, they'll look at that throughout the whole test. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Now, desire. What do you, how do you, how do you try to, what are you looking for for desire out of your dog at test day? And how do you try to foster that in your training um, you know, along the way? Yeah. So the desire is actually just, does the dog want to do it? You know, are they amped up about about this task? And, you know, if a dog is kind of hanging with the handler and not real sure what they're doing, you know, that that's not that's not what you want to see. You want to see a dog that'll that'll enter the water, you know, relatively quickly and they'll go out and do an industrial search to where they're they they know that they're they want to find this for you, but they're they're really amped up about it. I mean, the tail will tell you, right? That tail keeps okay. and and they're trying, and they just keep going and keep going and keep going until you call them back or they're successful. Mm -hmm. right? That's the desire. They don't just come back and kind of sit and go, well, no, that, did, that didn't work, Dad. I don't know what you want. So <laughs> um, so to foster those types of things, you know, you want to you wanna mix it up. You don't want to keep doing these tasks to the point where the dog gets bored because if they get bored with it, they're going to they're gonna want to give up on it. So sure. first-time handlers – usually have a problem with, with the less is more concept because they think, you know, one more pointing drill, one more, one more, one more, one more drag, one more search, one more. And the dog gets bored with it. These are very smart dogs. Once they learn it, they know it. And if you don't keep it interesting for them, it's just going to become something that I got to do versus something I want to do. So okay. build that desire. My recommendation is, is just keep it, Keep it mixed up and don't overdo it. If the dog is doing it well, you got it. And I would come back and maybe once every couple weeks, I'd try it again and just, just kind of keep it, keep it, keep it fluid to where, you know, take them different places, take them for hunt different, hunt, hunting different birds or whatever, just so that it stays fun for them because then they'll, they'll keep that drive to go out there and keep working for you. Sure. Sure, it makes sense totally. Now, when you talked about, you know, you made a comment earlier about cooperation uh, versus obedience. Um, you know, again, where do you expect your dogs to be obedience level? What is your expectations um, for test day? And you know, what would you, you know, and how do you ensure that your dogs are at that level for test day? Yeah. So when you talk obedience, it's the it's the the requirements that you're putting on the dog that you want them to follow, versus you know just working with you. So for the HCP level, 
you want them to, you know, be relatively calm on lead, um, to not be, you know, barking like an idiot, you know, when it's not their turn. Mm-hmm. Um, you want them to, to to be calm enough to wait for those commands and to listen. So when you tell them to sit next to you by the water, um, they should do it, and they should stay until you send them into the water. Um, in ACP, they're, they're, the, the obedience is being judged based on those types of events and not so much in between unless it becomes um, a problem for the test. So if your dog runs off and you got to take 20 minutes to find him and that happens repeatedly, they may kick you out of the test. Okay. If, you know, but if your dog is just a barker and you keep him in the truck out of the way, it's, it's probably not going to be a problem at the test. But if, if the dog is causing undue influence on other dogs because it's it's a problem, it can it can it can nick you for that. Okay. Um, and the judges will will tell you up front, you know, if if they think they're starting to be a problem, um, to where it would be a, a they would stop you from com- completing the test. But I don't. I've seen that. I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, it's because the handler wasn't really aware at all of what the test consisted of and just kind of showed up because the reader asked them to and really didn't do the due diligence to, to read the rules and prepare their dog correctly. Um, sure. But, I mean, these are young dogs. The, the judges understand that. They're not, pup, they're not technically puppies anymore, but they kind of are, um, depending on, I mean, because based on the age requirement, I mean, some of these dogs could, could be as young as a year old. Okay. Um, when they're running this test, but you know they should have had enough training with the handler to understand those basic commands of sit and heal and mm-hmm. those types of things. So that's really what they're looking for there. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, that's I think that 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 gives some people some some guidelines there of uh, you know uh, the do's and don'ts as far as at least obedience and. And what the expectations of desire and cooperation are, and, and you know, I mean, it's kind of kind of hard to talk about training them necessarily. Um, you know, training desire. You know, you're you're, you're fostering desire, right? right. Um, you know, you you want to encourage cooperation, um, but you know, a dog is either going to be cooperative or he's not, right? So, um, you know, and, and again, there's a fine line between obedience and cooperation. You can drill it into a dog, and you can drill you know, obedience so far that it makes it seem as if it's cooperation, but, you know, the trained eye is going to be able to tell the difference between that. Um, you know, you, you go around dogs long enough, or you, you work with dogs long enough, you can tell a dog that wants to be cooperative versus a dog that's been forced into, you know, not going more than 30 yards from a handler. Right. Um, you know, where, where that fine line of obedience where you've overdone it with your obedience and it takes away from their desire and or cooperation too. So, um, and that's something that, you know, you mentioned earlier that you're in the process of apprenticing. Um, you know, I know being involved with uh, the various clubs for you know, over 10 years now, you come out and you see these dogs and, and I'm sure you've seen it time and time again at your training days over there. Uh, just place, uh, you know, with the the uh, NHAGV or NAVDA or whatever it may be, or tests and stuff that you've attended, um, you know, you see that, and you know, you try to explain it to a newer handler, but sometimes they just don't get it. So, um, so it's tough. So, hopefully, this, uh, you know, these these couple episodes here will help some of them people uh, 
you know, along the way, you know, and, and give them some preparation for their tests upcoming here in the next couple of months too. So we should be kicking off really probably around the beginning to mid-September should be most of the tests kicking off. So um, I don't know about you guys with your clubs. I, I think uh, I think our tests, uh, our ZOMs, our fall tests will start around the middle of September. So and there we are at the beginning of uh, August. So now move on to uh, and just kind of glance across the uh, evaluated attributes. Um, you know, there's not much you can really train for except for, you know, preparing your dog to be evaluated. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So you want to, I mean, they're going to, the judges are going to want to look at um, their eyes. They're going to look in their mouth. They want to count teeth, check the bite. Um, if it's a male, they're going to check the testicles. So you want to have your dog used to being handled by strangers. And the more calmly the dog can handle a judge looking in their mouth, the better evaluation is going to get. Now the breed show that the dog will go through eventually is the, is the ultimate decision on a dog's bite and that type of thing. But um, the judges are required to count the teeth and make note of any, any discrepancies, whether it's an extra molar or missing premolar or whatever the number is or the, or the bite, um, whether it's correct or not. Um, it's very hard to do if the dog is, is going nuts because they don't know this person and why are you opening my mouth? So have people go to training days, have people look at the dog's, you know, mouth, kind of mess with them a little bit, you know, just do it, you know, it can be done very gently, but the dog can get used to, you know, strangers coming up and basically looking in the mouth for them and handling them because the judge sure. will come up and, and, you know, either be at the side or the front of the dog and they'll be getting down to the dog's level and they'll want to look at all the teeth, uh, and at some point they have to open the dog's mouth to be able to, to look at those back molars. So um, you definitely want to be preparing them for that. And the earlier you can do it, the easier it is. The dog mm -hmm. gets used to it. And so as you're socializing your puppies or, you know, anytime you're in it, yeah, can you take, you know, mess with the dog's mouth, open up, look at their teeth, whatever, just so they get used to, you know, get, get used to it. And then it becomes right. no big deal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and a good, uh, and something you probably, you know, probably take for granted because you've been doing it for so many years and now apprenticing and everything like that. Um, for a newer novice person, um, you know, if you're around a judge, ask them to demonstrate on a dog, like how to inspect their teeth. Cause there's some nuances that, that you can do to make it more comfortable for the dog. Right. Right. That they're going to be more cooperative. So, you know, don't just go ahead and peel their mouth wide open. Like you're, you know, like you're, uh, uh you're trying to split open a gator's mouth or something here. Uh, um, you know, and, uh, and, and wrestle them down to the ground, uh, the crocodile Dundee, you know, you really should, should learn how to roll their gums up. Um, you know, you can come from the front side and if you, you apply your thumb, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you apply your thumb right on their bottom jaw, you know, you kind of, you know, can, can pull up and relax them a little more. Um, and they're going to be a little more susceptible than you trying to go from the sides, like prying their, prying their mouth open. Like you're, you know, like trying to snap open a crab leg or something like that. Um, yeah. So, and again, if you do it, do it properly. And that's the same thing with, with force breaking. Everybody wants to just shove a bumper in a puppy's mouth. 
Well, one of the reasons they, they reject or spit it out a lot is because when you roll that bumper in, a lot of times their jaws are, are bigger than their their jaw at that point, and it gets sucked underneath the bumper. Well, then they go to clench down on it, and they bit their lip with a you know with a sharp tooth there, and next thing you know, they want to spit it out, and then you're yelling at them and everything like that. So ask somebody you know experienced, ask a judge to show you you know how to do that. And I, and I promise you, it's going to go a long way, especially when somebody else comes up to you and says, hey, Pete, can you check my dog's teeth? I got a test coming up, you know, and now they're not fighting you. <laughs> so right. uh, like like a honey badger. <laughs> <Yeah. actually. laughs> so does that make sense for you or no? That's a good analogy, yeah. Okay, so um, very good, very good. And, and again, you know, guys, be prepared for these tests. Um, you know, these are good, uh, good guidelines for you and stuff like that. But again, don't don't be afraid to ask questions. And, and the biggest thing I think that, you know, um, everybody needs to remember is, especially if you're a first time handler, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to tell the judge, hey, this is my first time running, you know, a, a fall breed test, an HZP or a Zalms or whatever it be. Um, you know, don't be that guy that doesn't say anything till afterwards and then complains you got a bad score because, you know, you didn't know any better. The judges could have maybe, you know, gave you a little help or something like that. Like Lori mentioned earlier in the episode, you know, if they suggest something to you, it's usually for your benefit. You know, they want to see, you know, maybe the dog has been doing something that they're not liking, but they want to make sure that it's not something that you're creating, a, a, you know, a situation. So they're going to say, hey, give that dog a little space, back up a little bit, handler. And all of a sudden, yeah, no, no, I'm fine right here, you know. So, um, but uh, they want to see the best out of you and your dog. So, uh, but as we as we get to get towards the end of the, uh, the the time we've got today, Lori, is there anything special that you want to talk about, you know, outside of the water work or evaluated attributes, um, you know, regarding the fall breed test? Um, yeah. So, so the one thing I will will tell tell first time handlers is is get a copy of the rule book and really really sit down and read it and i i've taken several dogs through tests but until i started to apprentice i never really really understood that every single word in this rule book was carefully thought out this this rule book has been these rule books have been developed over years and years of experience and trying to get this test standardized to where it's it's does everything they want to do and words like must and should are huge right if the dog must do something it's a pass fail if it should do something it's something the judge can can judge basically mm -hmm. they can they can determine how well that dog does that thing and and the more you read this rule book the more you understand um what they're looking for and okay when you when you read those and you, if something doesn't make sense you know if you go to a training day there's almost always a judge at a training day because they're, they're still training dogs too so or you can get somebody with, that's done a lot of it and you can ask those questions and what does this mean and what can what does this really do for me because it is translated from, from german in most cases but um they've done a very good job of doing that and everything you need is in there mm-hmm so take the time to get a book and and really really study it. Okay, that that's some some sound advice there. I know we you know that's always been my uh, thing. Grab a highlighter, 
you know, highlight your key points, you know, your must and your should when you, you know, grab a, a pink highlighter and a yellow highlighter or green or whatever and, and make your, your must one color and your shoulds another color. So when you're training, you're referencing back, um, you can look at it and go, yeah, I remember that. Okay, yeah, okay. I can get by with that if the dog's not perfect, but I, I still want to strive to be perfect, but, but I have to do this for sure, so. Um, excellent point, Lori. Excellent. Thank you. So, uh, well, I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. Um, I do have a couple of questions for you, which I've been been asking most of my guests to come on here. So, uh, you may or may not have heard them already, but, um, you know, I got two questions to wrap up the episode. So in your opinion, what's the most important thing to be prepared for, for these fall breed tests? Um, yeah, and on that, we, we cover that. It's, it's basically making sure that, that you have the force fetching done and really complete. Um, if you have that done, the rest of the things you're training for are so much easier to do because they, they already have that down. So take the time to get that done before you and – and don't jump ahead to do the other things first where you'll kind of unravel some of your retrieve training. Get that done first. And then, and then the rest of it will follow. Okay. Okay. Very good. So I do like that answer. It's, uh, we try to, you know, emphasize that's a very, very important part of, of any dog program is, is a solid retrieve period. I think that you, you form another, another level of a bond with the dog. Once you, you go through that process. I don't know if you agree with that one or not, but I do. Um, yeah. So, okay. And, and the last one, we'll leave it for a fun question for you. So, uh, can you share with our listeners what is your favorite hunting adventure or moment, uh, whatever, with your German versatile hunting dogs? And you've got, what do you say, eight in the pack? So you've got, you got quite a few of them. Six, okay. Eight's wishful thinking. My, you know, yeah, yeah my, so. <laughs> when my husband listens to this, he's probably going to fall over when he hears eight. So, um. <laughs> where are the two, where are you been hiding the two? Yeah, he's what talking you, about? What are you setting me up for? So, um, yeah, so for me, I, I mentioned this at the beginning, and you know, I, I got into this very late. And um, so I just really um, started duck hunting a couple years ago. And so last year, I actually finally was able to shoot my own duck out of the air and um, had, my, had my natty with me, who was my very first drive that, that really got me into all of this. She was my first dog my first draw hard that, that I took through. And on opening day of duck season, when I go, it's I get to take her. That's kind of how, how we did it. Okay. And so I finally got to shoot my duck, and she went out and retrieved it and brought it to me and delivered it to hand, and it all just kind of clicked. I mean, I love all this stuff, and I trained for all this stuff, but just to actually be out there and have me with my dog and retrieve my duck was just the coolest thing. And... So, and now I'm, I'm all about the duck hunting now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that you, you, it doesn't take long to get addicted to this stuff. That's for sure. So we, um, that's awesome. And, and again, I mean, it's so hard to pick one story. I mean, you, you really, you start thinking about all the years with the dogs and different things. And then this dog or that dog and, um, you know, then you'll, you'll probably look back, wait, well, what about that one? Or what about that adventure? So they're just amazing dogs and, and, and they're just, um, 
they're fun to watch. They're fun to train. Uh, just it's a great, uh, great organization or, or organizations to be involved with um, and everything. So um, you know, I, I think uh, as, as we conclude and and wrap up, uh, you know, episode three or uh, excuse me, episode six, but uh, part three of our fall breed tests. Um, Lori, I, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule and coming on the show with us and, and sharing all of your training and handling perspectives uh, for uh, our listeners today. Oh, I really appreciate being asked. Um, my pleasure. No, no problem. And, and I try, I promise you, you you'll, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I have uh, at some future episodes, I might have to, to drag you back on for. So, but uh We'll uh, we'll see what happens there. We'll maybe we'll get you and Jeff on one episode. Uh, you can give them a hard time for a little while there. But uh, I hope uh, that our listeners have enjoyed this episode as much as we did recording for you. And uh, on the on the next episode, we're going to be slowing down a little bit and hopefully taking some confusion out of some of the German acronyms uh, and words that we've been throwing at our listeners here that. Uh, are maybe not as versed in them as, as some of the uh, people on the show here uh, or myself. And uh, along with a few unforgettable stories uh, from my guest and myself uh, about our hunting adventures. So uh, please remember to click on the subscribe button on your player. Don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook. And until next time, Wiseman's Heil and Prost. <laughs>